What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL show, about 30 minutes a pop, Monday through Friday, taking you through your work week, getting you through your commute, through the daily grind, with all the NFL news you can handle. It is July 4th week. That ain't going to stop us. No, no, no. We will have a show on July 4th. And I'm Will Brinson, your host, by the way. Thank you for listening, as always. You can follow me on Twitter, at Will Brinson. You can follow the Pick 6 Podcast on Twitter, at Pick 6 Pod. And if you so choose, you can subscribe and rate and review. We love reviews. We love ratings. All of us as much as we love beer. Some people, some people don't like the beer talk. I don't care. I like the beer talk. Voodoo Ranger by New Belgium. Friend of the program, Chris Allen, buddy of mine, uh, hooked up a little bit of Voodoo Ranger. New Belgium's signature staple IPA. Highly recommend it. I think you can go to like the Teeter or, or your local grocery store and get a 12 pack for $13.99. That is a rarity in today's craft beer climate. So highly recommend that. And then the Juicy Haze IPA, of course, is good. If you haven't had that, that's your New England offering and highly recommend uh, Fat Tire. You've probably had Fat Tire if you've ever drank beer at all. And they do a great job with their sours too. Um, some news and then we'll get to Bryant McFadden. Joining us back this week, we had a great talk with him last week. He's back again. He's going to be back every Tuesday, I think. And um, I, I think moving forward into the season. So very excited for that. Really enjoy the rapport we had. And today's program, we, we talk about the Steelers, 08 Steelers versus the 2013 Seahawks. Cam Chancellor retiring. We're sounding like he's going to retire. And, uh, and then actually we talk about LeBron. So fair warning, there is some NBA talk here. But LeBron to the Lakers is sort of... The sort of thing that you would, that, uh, I don't know, uh, trend, you know, uh, is bigger than anything else. Like anybody, everybody's talking about that, right? I mean, they cut into a friggin' baseball game on ESPN to, to bring the news, uh, that LeBron had signed with, with the, uh, with the Lakers. Some quick news and notes around the NFL. Riverboat Ron got his own sushi roll. Nobody cares about that. But if you're in Charlotte or Raleigh, you could uh, go to the Cowfish and try it. It's only $17. That's a lot of money. Um, but uh, Cowfish makes uh, sushi and burgers. And they make sushi, burger sushi. They call it burgushi. It's, it's really good. Expensive spot, but but very delicious sushi. Uh, Riverboat Ron Roll involves um, soft-shell crab um, and uh, cucumbers on the inside and then at, wrapped in avocado with some eel sauce and, and spicy, and, uh, excuse me, uh, spicy mayo. It looks very good. Comes with a side of poke and uh, an avocado too, which I am definitely down with. So check that out if you want the cowfish. Who doesn't love the cowfish? Um, by the way, if you if you live in Raleigh or Charlotte, we're going to try and have some live shows or maybe some tweet ups. So let me know if you'd be interested in that. You can tweet me at Will Brinson about it or email me at willbrinson at gmail dot com. I'm also open to answering your fantasy football keeper questions should you have them. Jameis Winston has fired his agents in the wake of his suspension. Seems like a good move. They only got it reduced to six games. Why not? He, he might be mad that he decided not to fight it. I, I don't know. It's weird. The Eagles are going to wear home jerseys for a road game in New Orleans after Sean Payton loses a golfing bet to Doug Peterson. This is right there with, with Bill Belichick's dog wearing a hoodie. It's one of the best stories of the offseason. And uh, a former Titans director of scouting is piling on with Jameis Winston saying that Mark, Marcus Mariota was, quote, and or in – Quote, easy choice, end quote, over Jameis Winston. 
it's easy when the uh, when when one guy's being uh, suspended and one guy's not. But I will say that Marcus Mariota's biggest flaw was that he would he was too quiet. He wasn't wasn't enough of a vocal leader, right? That seems like a dumb reason not to like somebody. All right. Anyway, let's talk to Brian McFadden, former Florida State and Pittsburgh Steelers defensive back, two time Super Bowl champion. All right, Bryant. We got a uh with Tuesdays. Tuesdays with Bryant. Is that what it is? Mondays. But but we're recording this on Monday. We chat on Monday mornings. People get to hear it on Tuesday, and uh that means that we get to dive into the biggest NFL news of the weekend. And in this case, uh it was Cam Chancellor, Seahawks safety, who announced that he plans. Um, I, I think he plans to retire. Right? I mean, it sounds like he's saying goodbye to football. Um, he posted it on Twitter and it, you know, this is, shouldn't be a huge surprise because Pete Carroll had hinted that Cam Chancellor, uh, and Cliff Averill both w- would end up, you know, not being able to play football again. And that was a possibility. Now it looks like both guys are going to retire. Uh, I mean, I guess I would ask you, what is your initial impression with the full deconstruction of the Legion of Boom now happening? Well, you know, when you look at the entire offseason for the Seattle Seahawks, the biggest storyline was Earl Thomas, you know, yeah. hinting that he would like to play for another organization. Not knowing the status of Cam Chancellor at that time, many felt like he would potentially play in 2018. Clearly his neck, that injury has not improved in a matter in which he would like for it to uh, improve. And he's deciding to walk away. So, the ongoing contract dispute with Earl Thomas will, I think, will stick with this team throughout the entire offseason leading up, leading up to training camp. And when you look at the defensive roster right now as it is structured, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Earl Thomas, the only remaining members from that Super Bowl championship team in 2013, you only have three guys on that roster defensively. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, like they've, it it was, this was, this was a budding dynasty with a huge Super Bowl window and it just went away like that. It's nuts, right? It's crazy. Yeah. Because when they were playing at their best, their key young, their key players were all young, young up and coming superstars. So for them to be five years removed from that championship team, and to potentially only have, if Earl is there, you have three guys, but if Earl is gone, the two guys we know will be in a Seahawk uniform is Wagner and Wright. You don't usually see that because they were playing their best football when all their key members were young, and many felt like this could be a dynasty as far as success, overall team success, and then when you transition to the defensive side, many felt like this defense was they should terrorize the, the NFL for quite some time. Now, they they did that, but I felt like they would have been able to sustain that level of success much longer than what we what we are currently seeing. It's wild because the, the Seahawks rose up as this uh, group of guys that were drafted over the course of really, I guess, 2010 through 2012, 2010 through 2012. You know, Russell Wilson in the third round. Richard Sherman was a fifth round pick. Um, Earl Thomas was a first round pick, but they got Cam Chancellor late. Uh, Bobby Wagner, I think, was a second round pick the same year as, as Russell. I mean, this is a team that was constructed quickly with unbelievable drafting by that, by that Seahawks organization. Um, 
but and, and then they you know they they made a run they beat they beat the the Redskins in Russell Wilson's first year then they you know they they nearly made a run to the Super Bowl then they make a you know they get back there against the Broncos and Peyton Manning and just annihilate them in the Super Bowl I mean one of the worst Super Bowls we've ever seen and just because of the lack of competitiveness and then they're back there the next year and they almost beat Brady and Manning back to back with that defense and that one play not running it with Marshawn Lynch throwing it with uh with Russell Wilson on the one yard line sort of seemed to really just derail this this uh you know this this defense and this this budding dynasty is it i mean as a former player is it is it hard to really grasp how one play like that could flip everything or or is it is it is it just that finite and that um that is is the line so thin when you're playing the game that that it that it that you know that a play like that can just change you know how we view you know teams and franchises and players and and you know really flip destinies to, to not to be over the top but i mean yeah as a play player it's hard to grasp that because granted we don't know what would have happened if Marshawn would have gotten the ball in his sure. hands but many the consensus believes believes that he probably would have scored may not have been on the first attempt but maybe the second because he's that type of player and the ball was on the one yard line and you have to like run the football on the one yard line more so than throwing the football <laughs> yeah. because anything can happen. So, and for me, just looking from the outside, looking in that play basically started the decline for that organization. And here's why I say that players emotionally showed how distraught they were. Then that carried on to the next season because you never know if you can get back to that level as far as playing the Super Bowl. So if you win that Super Bowl, the momentum you have in your back pocket is similar to what they had a year ago. Back-to-back champions with a young roster. We're not talking about the New England Patriots winning back-to-back championships with a 40-year-old Tom Brady. No, we're talking about a Seattle Seahawks team winning back-to-back championships where their franchise quarterback is in his mid-twenties, when all the key members offensively and defensively are extremely young. That loss, that the hangover effect, that was a full year. And then everything just started to trickle down a little bit. So when you look at the dynasty in which we thought we, w- we would see evolve to be one of the biggest and, I guess, successful d- dynasties in the NFL in the last decade, never became, never came to fruition because of that play. And I think that played a lot into what we're currently seeing now outside of the injuries like, like Earl, uh, Cam Chancellor's having. Uh, I, I, this is an, this might be an easy question, but I gotta ask it anyway. 2008 Steelers or 2013 Seahawks? <laughs> 2008 <laughs> Steelers. <laughs> They're actually, I, yeah. I, 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 think, <laughs> I, I think, I think, uh, all right. Now let's let's do it like this. Let's. I'm just. I'm just. Yeah. Let's let's rosterize it because I'm. Um. And I got the. I. I'll bring. I've got the. I mean, you played on the team, so you, you know you know it. But I mean, you, know, you played a lot of years. I got the roster in front of me, and we're just talking just defense here, not not overall teams. Okay. Um. um that 2013 team was nice. Yeah. I I I got to keep it real. They were extremely effective defensively. Um. Well, let's let's com- let's compare it by units. Let's start with the defensive line. Um, you guys had Aaron Smith, Casey Hampton, and Brett Kiesel, Brett Kiesel. in that three-four defense, three, four. and the yeah. Seahawks had 
Uh, they just brought in Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill in free agency. And that was really the impetus. People don't, people don't remember that quite as much about the Seahawks because we focus on the secondary because they were the Legion of Boom. But mm-hmm. this defense, and it's interesting because this defense for all the, all the stuff that they, all the players they drafted and all the success they had in the draft, they took off because Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, they, they signed for a combined $20 million as free agents. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the market was just not rolling. Bennett didn't, I think Bennett was a one year, $5 million deal and Averill, um, had been tagged by the Lions and then sort of hung out in free agency and they just got steals, but they had, uh, Bennett and Tony McDaniel, Brandon, Brandon Mebane and Cliff Averill up front. I would, two different schemes. So it's hard to really compare those two, yeah. right? Yeah, for, for us in our 3-4 scheme, if you know anything about a 3-4 defense, especially how we were structured defensively, our defense alignment were not very, very disruptive. They're, yeah, they're they not, they're not pass rushers. They just take yeah. up bodies, right? Yeah, they didn't have to be disruptive. Now, if they needed to do, to do that, they could, but that wasn't our scheme. That wasn't our philosophy. It's a lot different than what they had in Seattle. Those guys were taught to play on the opposite line in the scrimmage and they, you know, were very, very good in doing so. So for us, you know, but Casey Hampton, you talk about nose guards in a 3-4 scheme. He's one of the best in the world at his time, at that time in 2008. Aaron Smith was one of the best, uh, 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 technicians in the game at his position. And Brett Kiesel was an athletic guy. So our defensive line consists of this. We had Aaron Smith, who was about 6'6", 6'7", 320. You had Casey Hampton who was probably about 6'2", 370. Uh, on a good day, 350, but everybody <laughs> knew he was 370. And then Brett, you know, he's another guy who was about 6'5", 6'6", extremely athletic, over 300 pounds. So different schemes, but the guys we had on our front, they were extremely, extremely good at what they were supposed to do. And the same could be said for the guys with Seattle. So it's about the scheme-wise. I think Seattle at that time, their defensive line was one of the best in the game, in the league. And the same could be said for our defensive line also, because if you don't – if if my memory serves me correct, our defense was either number one or number two in total defense. I think our pass defense was probably top five. I think our rush defense was probably top three points allowed. I think we were tops in the league. So, you know, we put up real good numbers just like the 2013 Seattle Seahawks defense did also. You, Not to mention, you guys, too, oh, sorry, our ahead. schedule was tough. That, that That's something that we have to play in this discussion as far as the level of competition we faced. Yeah. And your, uh, your defense, by the way, first in points allowed gave up 13.9 points, which is just ridiculous. Wow. Um, first in yards allowed and also the, the top, um, yeah, let's see. And then, uh, here it is. Second and first downs allowed first in passing yards allowed second in rushing <laughs> yards allowed. First in net passing yards per attempt allowed and first in rushing yards per attempt allowed. I mean, you, that's the thing is like, and, and if you're comparing the defenses too, if you compare the front, like, you almost have to add in Lamar Woodley and James Harrison because they're rushing as three, four outside linebackers who could also drop into okay. coverage versus, you know, like KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner or Malcolm Smith aren't coming off the edge. I mean, they're, yeah, they're so just, it's a little different. Yeah, they're just it's playing a, a totally different. different scheme. All right, but we have to get to the, the, the real meat of it. And I'm, I mean, I'll, you can go whichever way you want. I don't know that there's necessarily a wrong answer, but which secondary was better? Because it's Ike Taylor. We we talked about this group last week. I mean, yourself, Brian McFadden, Ryan Clark, Troy Palomalu, and Ike Taylor versus Earl Thomas, Camp Chancellor, Richard Sherman, <laughs> and Brandon Browner. Wow. 
I mean, that, 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 that right there, that's a nice discussion. Okay. Process elimination. <laughs> when you can, when you combine both secondaries, which secondary had the best overall player? Uh, I, I think it, it goes to you guys. I mean, Troy Palomalu, Earl Thomas, I love Earl Thomas and I think he's, I, do a, too. I think I he's do a heat seeking missile and one of the, I mean, one of the great safeties to ever play the game, especially because he played it. Um, you know, he came into the league in 2010 and passing games took off, you know, like he played it mm-hmm. in an era and, and shut people down. He's, and I think he'd still play at a high level. I think he'll still play at a high level in 2018, but I would, I would have to give the nod to Troy Palomalu as the best player overall. I agree. Also, Troy clearly first ballot hall of famer. Um, and I think this Legion of Boom will eventually have a few hall of famers may not be first ballot, but they will. So for us, we had the best lead singer. If you combine it, mm. if you're talking about groups, if we talking, to, if we put this in the musical category, we had the best lead singer. And the backup singers knew their role was, they embraced it, and we really wanted to do everything in our power to make sure we did what we were supposed to do. So if I was a bass, if I, if I was a bass guitarist, I played the heck out of the, out of the bass. If we had a, a drummer, if Ike was a drummer, he was the best drummer in the game. And I think collectively, when you look at similarities, we both played the game and communicated and everybody was on the same page. I know last week we talked about improvising and doing things on the fly. The Seattle Seahawks did that also. So collectively, the numbers don't lie. We were first in pass defense. I think Seattle probably was first in pass defense. Um, But my final statement in determining who had the best defense as a whole in the same could be said for secondary, we did something that never – has been done before in the NFL in which we held 13 straight opponents under 300 yards. Whoa, that's substantial. That is not, that's, that is, that is quite substantial. I didn't realize that. That's incredible. 13 um, straight opponents under 300 yards. So oh man. And you guys I mean, had, yeah, like you guys had, uh, Peyton Manning on the schedule, Philip Rivers on the schedule, uh, 2000. Eli, Eli Manning. Eli Manning, yeah, in, in his prime. Tom Brady on the schedule. Tony Romo on the schedule. <laughs> Man, yeah, this was a, this was a tough schedule. Uh, Donovan McNabb. Yep. <laughs> who was yeah. still playing real good football. Uh, what, Kerry Collins, if I'm not mistaken, with Tennessee. So, yeah. the quarterbacks that we faced, and we're talking about Peyton and Eli, all those guys, Phillips was still, th- those guys were playing in everyday prime. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, I mean, 2008 is, we're talking like the heyday of some of these guys. And uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that you guys probably get underserved in this argument a little bit because the le- because, and I think here's my theory on it is that the Legion of boom was the first Seahawks defensive dynasty ever to crop up. Right. I mean, like it was, it was, it was new. It was unique to that franchise. It vaulted that franchise from, um, you know, middling, you know, group of, of players into this elite group in the NFL, whereas you guys almost were just continuing a tradition in Pittsburgh. So it, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't something new in Pittsburgh to have a great defense. It was almost like expected that the defense would be great. And so maybe you guys, like that's just how it works in the, you know, it's, it's the same reason why Bill Belichick and, and, and Mike Shashevsky don't get nominated for coach of the year. Cause there's an expectation of greatness there. And when they meet the expectation, it's like, well, they were incredible, but, but we sort of knew that might be coming and, and the Seahawks came out of nowhere. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For us, you know, defense is something that we pride ourselves on in that, in that organization with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So for us in 2018, I mean, 2008, I'm sorry, it's about just upholding the standard. 
Now, granted, when I talked about the historical standpoint, we did something that had never been done before. Oh, yeah. That was like, wow. And I remember in during, during the Super Bowl, Mike Tomlin told us on the sideline that final drive, if you want to be remembered as a as a great defense, you find a way to finish the drill. Because if you're a great defense, great defenses, in my opinion, in the NFL, they win championships. I yeah. feel like if you're a great defense, if you've been able to really show how great you've been throughout the season, and if you get to that level as far as competing for a sticky Lombardi, you got to find a way to win. And both teams, when you look at 2013, the Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> they dominated in the Super Bowl. They dominated. And we didn't dominate like we did throughout the year, but we found a way to win. But it's, it could be safe to say, in my opinion, now, that Super Bowl team they played against with Denver, granted, Peyton Manning was Hall of Famer, outstanding offense from the Denver Broncos, but we didn't play against a slouch neither. No way, dude. <laughs> that, the, the 08 Cardinals was when Larry Fitzgerald put on the greatest postseason receiving, receiving show in NFL history, in my opinion. I mean, like, I was there when he, when the, when the, cause that was the Cardinals beat the Panthers in the first round of the playoffs that year, right? And, yeah. and they go on and. No, 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 no. The Cardinals. Was a different year? They, they, they beat Atlanta in the first round and then they traveled to Carolina. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Philly. That's okay. But they, but they beat the Panthers in, okay, second round. Sorry. The Panthers second had, round. Panthers had the bye, but that's when DeLone threw the five interceptions. Yeah. But, but, yeah. but Larry Fitzgerald had this, right. ob, like, yeah. obscene run in the postseason that year where he, I mean, he just, I'm, I'm going to look it up really quick, but he, I mean, he just. I think he had the best postseason run out of any NFL wide receiver. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, that's when he had highlight reel after highlight reel, he, just okay. jumping over defenders in the end zone, catching right. touchdown passes. All right. He played in four postseason games that year. You're right. They did play. You could great memory. They played Atlanta week in the first week of the playoffs in the wild card, I guess. Then they played at Carolina. Then they got Philly at home. And then they played you guys in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. In those four games, Larry Fitzgerald had 30 catches. For 546 oh, wow. yards and seven touchdowns. That's like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's absurd. That's like a good season from somebody. Uh, like, <laughs> Will, you're talking about in the playoffs. He's not played against bad teams right. with bad defenses. You're playing against the best your conference has to offer. Yeah. And he dominated. Not to mention outside of Larry, they had Two other thousand yard receivers, Anquan Bolden, who would be a Hall of Famer in my opinion. Steve Breston was an outstanding third option for Kurt Warner. That offense have Kurt Warner, who is a Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald, who will be a Hall of Famer, Anquan Bolden, who will be a Hall of Famer. And don't forget, in the backfield, Edron James, who was still playing real good football, he will be a Hall of Famer. So that offense has four Hall of Famers. Yep. And, uh, worth noting too that the other two teams that you guys played in the playoffs those, that year, um, as you sure remember, you played the San Diego Chargers, mm-hmm. now the LA Chargers, but Phillip Rivers and North Turner, and that was a really good mm-hmm. Chargers team. They had Vinny Jackson and yep. Darren Sproles, um, Ladanian. Yeah, 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 freaking, yeah, Ladanian. Antonio Gates. I don't think Ladanian played that game for some he reason. He didn't play that game? Why would he not play that game? That's weird. I think, um, he yeah, I know did. we played them twice. We played them in the regular season also. So I know he played that yeah. ball game in the regular season. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, and, and then, and then of course the Cardinals in the playoffs. So we're talking about, I mean, look, that's a stacked, that's a stacked group. And the Saints, you know, the, the Seahawks know slough too. They played the Saints and mm-hmm. you guys also played the Ravens too. Uh, they yeah. played the, uh, the, the Saints 
and the 49ers, and then they snuffed out the Broncos. And, and they had a little bit more trouble in the playoffs those first two games than you guys did. You guys, you know, the Chargers and the Ravens both scored late in those games. Um, let's talk about a different sport and see how it relates to, uh, to the NFL because you are a Lakers fan. Yes. Congratulations. I've been my entire life, Will. I'm not like some of these other guys. That's, that's good. Just jumping on the bandwagon. I've been a Laker fan since so, the Showtime days. So you were born in what, 80? Did we go over this? 81. And you're, yeah, you were both 81. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like you grew up, I mean, when we, when we were growing up as kids, I mean, it was the heyday of NBA basketball. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, Jordan and then the Lakers and, and the Celtics, the Lakers and the Celtics battling. And so you grew up as a Showtime fan. Let me, I got, I got, People are just going to have to indulge a basketball conversation for a minute. First off, do you think, and I, my friend Carr posited this the other day, do you think that Magic Johnson securing LeBron James to come to Los Angeles and play for the Lakers now makes Magic Johnson clear-cut the greatest Laker of all time? No. Oh. No. no. Who is? Right now, in my opinion, I think Kobe Bryant is the greater Lake, the greatest Laker ever. Mm. Here's why. He was able to become part of a historical, historically good organization. He played his role as Robin, and he also won as Batman. Mm. So five championships should have been six because the Detroit Pistons should have never beaten, beaten the Los Angeles Lakers. I work here with Rip Hamilton. Uh, he was a part of that Pistons team, <laughs> and I still have nightmares from that series. But Kobe dominated from start to finish. His first few years was a bit rocky, but when he hit that consistent stride, he was always one of the best players in the game. So Kobe was able to do something no other superstar Laker was able to do, which which was win a championship without any bona fide superstar. Yeah. And he didn't do, he didn't win one. He won two and played against real good teams. That Boston Celtic team, I mean, whew. Yeah. And I understand Ron Artest, he had a big part to play in that finals. No question. That's what he was there for. But Kobe got us to that level. And he made plays, too. So when you look at the great Lakers that we've had in the history of the game, great Lakers now, Elgin Baylor, Magic Johnson, Jerry West, Kareem, all the championship superstar Lakers from the individual standpoint, Will, they had another superstar they were able to work with. Kobe did also with Shaq early in their first championship runs. But when Shaq left, Powell was pretty good, but he wasn't no superstar. Yeah. Powell, like, if Kobe became Shaq, in the Batman analogy, which I really like, and Gasol became Robin, I mean, Gasol's great, but he's not Kobe. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Kobe and Shaq, when they were playing together, were, I mean, like, both top 10 superstars, you know, no question about it. And I don't, I think Gasol was probably a top 20 player, but not guaranteed to be a, a top ten player in that run. You're right. How did how did that 04 Pistons team beat oh the God. beat the Lakers? That's yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. I mean, good for them, but man, the, that Pistons team was a scourge on fun basketball. But that, I, I, now that Pistons team was good because they had uh, Wallace, Chauncey uh, Billups, Rasheed, Rasheed, Rasheed Wallace. Ben Wallace, yeah. yeah, Ben Wallace. They had a nice nice team, but from the philosophy standpoint and scheme wise, they they made us take the ball away from Shaq. Mm. Everything became a perimeter shooting. Of, a shooting game for us. It became a perimeter shooting game for us. And usually we broke everything through the big fella. And we didn't do that in that game and never made adjustments. And before you know, it was a little too late. Hey, you're still holding on to that one. I like it. Man, uh, man I'm, listen, sound like I, me with the 95 world series. Every exactly. time I, every time I'm I get around fan, 
you know what, Will, I like basketball, but anything Laker-related, man, man, I, I, I was with us when we had Sedell 3. You remember that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's good, man. That's good. You sound like me with the 95 World Series. Every time I talk to Costos, Nick Costos, he's a Yankees fan. He drives me nuts Yeah, because he he talks about the Yankees beating the Braves. Um, Okay, so LeBron to the Lakers now. He's on a four-year deal. Do you think that they're going to swing LeBron? I mean, do you think they're going to swing, excuse me, um, some package of Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and uh and Kyle Kuzma and maybe a pick, whatever it is, to try and get Kawhi Leonard? Or do they yeah, wait and let Kawhi sign after this coming year? Yeah, we don't have to. I think the biggest factor in LeBron signing with us now is that we don't have to sell the farm for Kawhi to lure LeBron. Many people felt like the first domino to get LeBron would be Paul George. Paul George decided to sign with OKC to sign back with OKC. Now from a fan perspective, I got a bit nervous because now I'm like, wow, can we get LeBron without Kawhi being there? Mm. Because many felt like LeBron wanted to play with another experienced superstar. Oh, yeah. So Paul George was the first domino that needed to fall to get LeBron. That that didn't happen. So I got nervous because I'm like, I don't think LeBron would sign without knowing Kawhi would be there. Kawhi, nothing happened. LeBron signs. So now if I'm a Laker, if I'm Magic, you know what I do? I offer San Antonio the same thing I just offered them earlier last week. Brandon, silky smooth, Ingram, and a future first rounder. If you decline, okay, we will wait and try our hand at signing Kawhi as a free agent next season. Because we already got got the biggest name on the market as far as free agents. LeBron. We don't have to sell the farm to get LeBron because many felt like, like I said, you got to get Kawhi to get LeBron. And that probably would have forced us, Will, to really give up too much. Now we don't have to because we already got the guy we wanted to get in the first place. Yeah. And it's interesting because you have to really, uh, it's a, it's a fine line, I think, for the Lakers to walk because you don't want to blow, like, the, the, the one thing the Cavaliers did with LeBron James on their roster for the entirety of his career, both times, was that they got too panicky about trying to find this window for LeBron and to win now, when in reality what they should have been doing was drafting smart, acquiring young players, building up assets, and then putting pieces around LeBron to let him put him, to take him over the top. And they all, you know, they wanted, they went out and got Shaq at the end of his career, like, uh, you know, like Larry Williams, was it Larry Williams? Who's the best, like, like, or Mo, Mo Williams and Larry Hughes. Yeah, like, like, those are the number two guys on these LeBron teams. And I think you have to be a little careful if you're the Lakers, because Brandon Ingram could be a really nice piece that pairs along with LeBron. Like, I, I don't I know. I love Silky Smooth. The jump he made yeah. from year one to year two was incredible. I think he has an opportunity to eventually become a superstar. He's playing in a competitive conference, but his game is real, real nice. Yeah. So if they're looking for more, I'm okay. I don't want to give Brandon up, but to get a Kawhi, Kawhi. I'm willing to do that, but I'm not giving up any, uh, giving up any more young pieces that we have. We don't have to do that. We don't. We're okay where we at right now because we got the guy we wanted to get in the first place. If we didn't have LeBron, if LeBron was waiting, in this, waiting in this thing out, then that would force the Lakers to give up way more than what they would like to. So if you're San Antonio and this guy wants to be out, he wants to be out, Kawhi. Now this forces San Antonio to do a deal with a team that they don't want to do a deal with and may receive less than what they would like to because if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, are you willing to give up some of your quality young pieces, future 
draft picks for Kawhi and you may only have him for one year. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, you can't, you have to know that Kawhi is coming for the long haul and at least the rest of that, that contract with LeBron James before you can give up a bunch of young pieces. And I don't know that Lonzo Ball, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Brandon Ingram, LeBron James, and JaVel McGee is winning in, is going to win the West, but if they no, add, if no. they, yeah, it's not. No. Okay, all right. No. Yeah, it's I mean, not. me personally, you know, I got to keep it real. As a Laker fan, I'm not saying we got LeBron and we competing for a championship. I would like, I would like for that to happen, but realistically speaking, I don't see that happening in year one based on the roster we currently have. Now, we still find a way to add a piece, maybe a Boogie Cousins, maybe mm. Murga Trade to get a guy like Kawhi or a Clint Capella. If we can get Kawhi and uh, uh, Capella or Kawhi and Boogie with LeBron, now we're cooking with gas. Yeah, see, you that's <laughs> that's why I didn't understand the tw- – like, I think they gave, it was like la- on Sunday night they gave Contavious Caldwell Pope $12 million yeah, for yeah, a year – it's yeah. like, why don't you just go sign Boogie and then get Kawhi later? And then if you got Boogie, Kawhi, and LeBron, that team, oh. that team can hang with the Warriors and Rockets. Yeah, we gave, we gave, uh, KCP 12. We gave Lance four. I mean, we got 16 million tied up in two basically role players. I didn't understand that, but I trust Magic. Clearly they have something in plan for us because if you're LeBron James throughout that recruiting process, throughout the sales pitch, they had to tell LeBron something. For him to feel comfortable in signing with the Lakers guaranteed three years, knowing that he will compete for a championship because, granted, LeBron has titles already, but he's not coming to a new team just to be competitive in the regular season. Yeah, he wants to still compete. Yeah, he's not, he's not going to Los Angeles to like, like start a cartoon studio. You know, <laughs> like, like he might, he might do, you know, he might do some media stuff and have like a multimedia mogul situation going on. And I get that LeBron is, understands his brand as well as any athlete since Michael Jordan and, and maybe even more so than Jordan. I think he's taken what Jordan built as a guy who had a brand legacy, but was lucky that he played in the 80s and 90s because the stuff he did off the court would have destroyed his brand if he had, if he played in 2018. LeBron has done this in 2018 and has built his brand. He has built um, who he is, and he, he's going to become the first billionaire, uh, you know, play like athlete playing. I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, but yeah, you're right. He wants to win titles. He still knows that greatest of all time is in play if he goes to LA and wins two more titles and and it's at least in the discussion anyway um I I am curious so now that LeBron is there Boogie Cousins and Kawhi certainly will be attracted to come there all free agents will be how much of a factor is that in the NFL for players when they see a superstar because it's it's different you know like in the NBA you go and play with LeBron and you're guaranteeing yourself a shot at a ring. But I feel like this was the case back with Peyton Manning. We talked about the 2013 Seahawks, oddly, dovetail into that. They beat the Broncos. But Peyton Manning was – John Elway was able to attract free agents because Peyton Manning was there. I mean, that's a real draw in the NFL too, right? Oh, no question. It's not on the same level because you don't see players moving around as much in the NFL like you do in the NBA. But that means a lot, especially for older players that have yet to reach that level – winning championships so that's imperative when Peyton went to Denver they were able to uh to to sign other big name free agents who probably was towards the tail end of their career closer to the end than the beginning because they're trying to compete for championships look at this uh, New England Patriots for an example how many older players play their career elsewhere and then eventually they find a way to sign with New England for Mm. less money than any other franchise because they're trying to win. Chris Long, we just saw that with him a few years ago. 
you know, signed on with the New England Patriots. Pockets were extremely full, but he hadn't competed for championships. The Rams were bad his entire career there with them. Then he signs on with the New England Patriots, and voila. The same can be said for Martellus Bennett. You know, so yeah. veteran players, when they see some of the best in their sport, still playing at a high level, if they get an opportunity to join them, because you know you can't beat them. So if you can't beat them and you're still trying to find a way to win championships, and that's the ultimate goal for most professional players, winning a championship, you got to find a way to get that done. Was it was it easier? I mean, I guess the answer is obviously yes, because you're playing with house money a little bit. But you want to? Did you win a, a Super Bowl in your first year? Yeah, my rookie year. Yeah. So okay, is it? I mean, have you have you talked to other guys about that? How you know guys who maybe played a long time and in yeah, and then all of a sudden got to the end of the careers and you're like, oh, oh bleep, I don't, you know, I I wanted this ring so bad, I you know, I I maybe got close and I thought I would always have a chance to get it. I mean, is it is it easier playing with that knowledge that you've You've gotten to them. I mean, not like you ever slacked off or anything, but you know, the difference in, in playing your whole career without a ring versus playing your career with a ring and you, you ended up with two of them. I mean, how, how much of a, how much of a factor is that in, in feeling comfortable with your career, especially as you turn into a veteran? See, it's a big factor because for me, I came in winning. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't know anything else. So I didn't know how difficult and how hard it, it was to win championships until I got older. And then I also talk with other veteran players who hadn't reached a level as far as competing. I mean, I had conversations with a lot of friends of mine that never played in the playoffs. Oh my God. Know? Yeah. And I'm like, never made, made the playoffs. You know, I played seven years. I missed the playoffs one year and we were eight and eight, missed it by one game. So I'm like, never played in the playoffs. You know, I had guys that I talked with and been cool with throughout my career, never won double digit games in a season. That's so, crazy, man. That, yes, I mean, yes, and that's the reality, and that's how difficult it is to win and compete. So you have to applaud the teams that you see winning week in and week out because that takes a lot. So for me, my rookie year listeners, I come in, get drafted, training camp, preseason, season starts, playoffs, Super Bowl, win. I'm like, okay, we're supposed to do this every year. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I mean, so, it's like with uh, you know Dan Marino, you know, makes the Super Bowl in his second year i think either first and or never second, got back and never got back and you just you just think that you're it's you're like well you know he missed you missed that opportunity i it'll, i'm sure there'll be plenty of them and then all of a sudden time creeps and and anxiety yes. settles in yes and and we were talking about the seattle seahawks earlier in the show and how not running the football how did that affect their dynasty or the beginning of a dynasty they may never get back to another championship there's no guarantee. So when you're there, you have to seize the moment. You have to take advantage of the opportunity. The same can be said for the Atlanta Falcons, what, a few years ago. You got a 25-point lead in the second half. Mm. You have to finish the drill because you may not get there. The last time Atlanta was in the Super Bowl before then was 1998. Yep. Look how long it took for them just to get back to the game. No, I mean, look at the Carolina Panthers, same deal. You know, they they lose that game to Tom Brady. Uh, in a game yeah. that they easily could have won. I mean, they were winning late and Tom, Tom Brady had that drive. And then you think, well, you know, with this, I, I think football is so different than, than any other sport because it, like we talk about, you exactly, you're exactly right about the Seahawks. Like 
you know, the Seahawks win their first Super Bowl. They get to the second one. They, you know, they lose a heartbreaking game. But you're like, well, their core is intact for the next five or six years. Yeah, you're thinking, oh, they'll be back. Hmm. And then okay. poof, it just vanishes. It's nuts, man. It's yeah, crazy. It's, it's, listen, it's, it's so tough to get to that level. So when you're cheering for your fan, I mean, I mean, when you're cheering as a fan for your team and they're competing for a championship, like the Philadelphia Eagles, they took care of business because there's no guarantee. And when you have young players, the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, they're a great example to use. When you think they got, when they got there and they won, or if they got there and they lose and all their key players are young, the first thing you say, well, the, the core pieces are still intact, not going anywhere. We'll be back maybe a year or two. Huh. Think again, <laughs> because the game changes dramatically year in and year out. And football is the ultimate team sport. You're right. No, 100%. Did you win, did you win a title at Florida State? You didn't win a title at Florida State, did you? No, we lost, uh, the Orange Bowl to Oklahoma. That was my oh, freshman year. Oh, man. Yeah. I was about to say, that would be, I gotta, I need to go back there. I went back, Danny Cannell is on here and I went back and looked at the scores that he had against NC State. He's older, he's older than, than you, obviously, but I, mm-hmm. I need to, I need to go back and look and did you play, was a bot? Was Amato, was Amato at NC State when you were there? Yes. Was Amato? When I, when I was at Florida State, NC State, mm. they had, uh, Phillip Rivers. Tory Holt. Jer- no, no, Tory, Tory Holt was, was gone. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's gone. gone. He's 98. So, the, right. so my class was Phillip Rivers, Jericho, Jericho Cotri, um, the running back number 44. What was his name? T.A. McClendon. Yes, T.A. McClendon. Boy, he was good. Man, he was, he was good. awesome. He was incredible. Yes. But you know what? He didn't, he ended up not, um, not having a, you know, he ended up, he and, uh, he and Maurice Claret, it's crazy because they were the same. They played against each other in 01 in a double overtime game in Ohio State. And it looked like those would be the guys who, or maybe it was 02, but those would be, you know, like two great running backs. And then neither one, um, ever amounted to, to doing anything. Again, it's a short shelf mm-hmm. life. Uh, all right. We got to bounce because we're, we're running long, but maybe next week we can talk, um, talk five, like, Talk, the, who are the most desperate teams with these short windows? That could be an interesting, uh, I like that. Little because discussion. the window is always short. The window outside for the New England Patriots. Windows, yeah, that's right. Except for these freaking dynasty that keeps going. All right. Follow Brian on Twitter at BMAC underscore sports talk. Make sure and check him out on CBS Sports HQ. Can't wait to talk to you next week, man. Same here.